Revelation 4, your Old Testament made hundreds of prophecies about Christ's first coming. And we are talking about prophecy this evening. Hundreds of prophecies about Christ's first coming to the earth. And all were fulfilled. And just as surely as my name is Shirley, <laughs> as surely as the prophecies of His first coming were fulfilled, so will be the prophecy of His second coming, ushering in the end of the world. So don't be left behind on earth when the believers are whisked away to heaven at the rapture. Make things right with God. Be born again as we talked about this morning so you are right with Him and you are not left behind. You know, the word church is found in Revelation 19 times just in the first couple of chapters. Chapters 2 and 3 specifically mention church quite a bit. And then you come to chapter 4 and the church disappears. And it's not seen again until Revelation chapter 19. You don't see the church at all from 4 through chapter 19. And then we find the church returning with Christ to the earth at the Battle of Armageddon. So, if I was going to use radio language tonight, I would say that in chapter 4 and verse 1 of Revelation, the church goes off the air. And why does the church go off the air in Revelation 4.1? I'll tell you why. It's because the church goes in the air in Revelation 4 and verse 1. Let's look at that verse right now. Oh, and by the way, can you imagine what a glorious ride? Artists can't do it justice, but can you imagine flying away? Verse, uh, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. Oh, and by the way, um, <clears throat> I say, can you imagine flying away? Can you imagine being left behind? <laughs> Revelation 4 and verse 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a, what's the next word, church? A trumpet talking with me. Now, how do trumpets talk? Right? I'm sure it's far more glorious than that. Talking with me, it says, this trumpet which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter in the following verses go into more detail. This verse is a picture of the rapture of the church. And uh, are you excited about making that trip? I mean, I don't care what age you are, you shouldn't be looking for the undertaker. You should be watching for the upper taker. That's right. Are you watching? Are you working? Are you witnessing? Are you worshiping while there's time? The rapture is the next event on God's prophetic timetable. It won't be long. It can't be too long because, uh, because of all the prophecies having been fulfilled. There's nothing holding back the return of Jesus Christ. Now, it's wrong to be a date setter. I'm not a date setter, but it was Jesus who said to watch the signs of the times and to look up for your redemption draweth nigh. There's nothing holding back the return of Jesus Christ. It is imminent. It could happen at any moment. And though we don't know the day or the hour, I'm happy to report tonight, church, that right now, 
on March the 10th, the year of our Lord, 2019, at 5 something 35 in the evening, we are closer to the return of Christ than any humans who have ever lived. And now we're closer. <laughs> and if by His tarrying grace we wake up again tomorrow, we're even closer. And that's the kind of excitement the Lord would have us to live with as we watch for His return. You can hear His footsteps approaching. He's almost at the door. He'll open it. He'll invite His children in. Revelation 4.1 sounds like Paul's description that he gives over in 1 Thessalonians 4. You know that one. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. And there's that trumpet again, the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This is going to happen. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, we've seen enough signs. It's time to start listening for sounds. Don't be a Christian who's surprised and shocked, like, whoop, it really happened. <laughs> I'd always heard about that. Wasn't expecting that. Our redemption draweth nigh. Is it possible that Jesus will return in your lifetime? I say it's not just possible, it's probable. That's the way to be looking at it. All right? He may come back before the service is over. Uh, I'm not a, a date setter, not trying to make a prediction. But we need to see the signs of the times, and I'd like to share with you some more compelling evidence that at any time, Christ could explode onto the scene, rupturing the sky and rapturing the saints can you imagine flying away? Can you imagine being left behind? Now, what's going to happen on this earth when the rapture occurs? Maybe you'll be riding along in an automobile. Maybe there's several people in there. Uh, let's say you're the driver and you've been born again. You're raptured away. You disappear. What happens to that automobile at that time? What happens in any stadium that's filled with some believers and some unbelievers. Just think about the scene. And you know the news will have some explanation of aliens or something else, right? Um, but we know differently, absolutely. Um, you'll leave behind only your clothing and physical things that cannot inherit eternal life. And uh, I wouldn't want to be one of those who is left behind in the stark pandemonium left behind scratching their heads let's make this a little more pointed Hal Lindsey said when Jesus returns many churches will not have to look for a new pastor <laughs> so sad that that's true and by the way your pastor wants you to know if when the rapture occurs he's out of here and that brother Daniel can take over so <laughs> <laughs> you know, end times events that precede the rapture are being played out before our very eyes. Watching the news is, is like listening to this message in a way, if you have biblical ears to listen for it. 
uh, reading the newspaper is like reading the book of Revelation if you, if you watch for the signs of the times. From the Mideast to Russia to what's happening in our country today, the panorama for the second coming is spread out like a table for Sunday dinner. The stage is set. The key players have taken position. The cameras are rolling. The lights are beginning to dim. A hush is falling across the audience in heaven. And all we need is for our divine director to cry out, Action! Son, go get your bride. The rapture is before the tribulation. Not one time do you find the church mentioned in a Bible text discussing the tribulation because the church has already been judged at Calvary. Praise the Lord. And the purpose of the tribulation is, is judgment. And we are not appointed unto wrath. Praise God for that. You've got pictures of the, of the rapture in the Bible like Enoch and Lot. All Bible types are a pre-tribulational rapture picture. Revelation 19 shows where the church is in heaven during the tribulation. Um, and the coming of Christ for His saints is always pictured as sudden and unexpected. And of course, we'd be counting the hours if we were still here. We'd be adding up uh, the time slot there. So, something we need to remember and realize is that we do not serve a half-baked God. Yes, He's a God of love, but He is a God of judgment. And we, we love to believe in God, but we don't like to think about Satan. We love to believe in angels, but we don't like to think about the demons. We love to talk about heaven, but I don't know if really, really hell, you know. We don't serve a half-baked God. And the Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so I'm glad that the rapture precedes the tribulation. That is... As a believer, I'm glad. Right now, God is still striving with rebellious mankind. He's still calling sinners, convicting, convincing. He's still saving sinners. Can I have an amen? <laughs> but there is coming a day when an avalanche of God's judgment will be poured down upon the world which rejects Christ because God's patience will give way to God's wrath. It will be a judgment so terrible, so severe, so beyond comprehension that God won't allow His church to go through it. Don't be left behind. There's a feeling in the air that the return of Christ is very soon. Now, I say these things and the world hears things like this and they scoff. Just like they did in Noah's day. Right? Oh, they made fun of that guy. But no one will be laughing on the day when millions, including all young children, suddenly vanish. No one's going to be laughing then. Now, I've even heard people who profess to be Bible-believing, born-again Christians say, Oh, another one of those messages. I've been hearing preachers all my life saying, Jesus is coming back. And it could be any time, and it could be soon. And again, I remind you, it's sooner now than when they said it. <laughs> right? And I'd also like to point out a very simple fact. It doesn't happen until it happens. And when it happens, 
that just happened. <laughs> and it's too late, much like the door of the ark slamming shut, and the sky began to fall, and the people said, oh, it really is happening. We do believe, and it was too late. And Jesus said, it'll be just like in the days of Noah. Call me a chicken little preacher if you want, but the sky did fall then, and it will again. It will again. Some say that every generation has believed Christ would return in their lifetime. I want you to know that simply isn't true. We talked a little bit from history this morning in, in Sunday school from other cultures. Every generation has hoped to see his return, but not all have expected it in their lifetime. I'll give you a couple of examples. <clears throat> Sir Isaac Newton was not only a great scientist, but later on a theologian late in his life in the 1700s. He concluded that his generation would not see the return of Christ. And he made that conclusion based on some unfulfilled prophecies at that time, specifically ones about the nation of Israel, ones which now have been fulfilled but had not been then in the 1700s. He didn't see the signs of the end times. He said, and I quote, about the time of the end, a body of men will be raised up who will turn their attention to the prophecies and insist upon their literal interpretation in the midst of much clamor and opposition. I'd be proud to be one of those guys. C.H. <laughs> Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of the 19th century, said, will Jesus appear in 1866 or 1867? He said to a great crowd, I'm inclined to think that he will not come at any such time. It seems to me that there are a great many prophecies which must be fulfilled before the coming of Christ. We may go on, uh, we shall go on many a day yet. We may have to wait, he said, for another century. Well, more than a century and a half have passed since he said that. And my, how much has changed in that century, which leads us to a very powerful discussion of the fulfillment of one of the lesser-known prophecies of the Old Testament. Let's show them Daniel 12 uh, and verse 4. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, that is Daniel's prophecy, unto the time of the end. And what does he say about the time of the end? Many shall run to and fro, some kind of a transportation explosion on the earth, and knowledge shall be increased. Let me give you a translation of that. <clears throat> the internet. <laughs> okay? Not just that. So much more. A knowledge explosion, a technology explosion, uh, an information and transportation superhighway. Um, think about it. From the time that God created Adam... To this day, about 6,000 years have passed. And for all but just the last hundred or so of those years, for the most part, man walked, sailed, or rode horses, right? <laughs> now, you and I, we've all experienced a very different thing than almost all of our ancestors from almost all of human history. When it comes to transportation, it's a direct fulfillment of that lesser-known prophecy right there. The 20th century saw man come up with so much. I knew my great-grandfather, Gilbert Shirley. He was born in 1889, and think of what he saw in his life up until he died at the age of 93. 
so that was about uh, 82 or so, he had seen the space shuttle <laughs> do its thing. And now that's so old it's retired. <laughs> now they say we're going to Mars. Look back at the Earth. I'm going to blow it up. <laughs> For centuries, Bible scholars interpreted this, this phrase here underlined, run to and fro, <clears throat> for, for centuries, Bible scholars interpreted run to and fro as a coming increase in travel and in the speed of travel, but no one understood how it could happen. It was in the 17th century that Isaac Newton said, quote, A new mode of travel shall be invented in the last days. Knowledge will be so increased that man will be able to travel at a rate of, and then he really went out on a limb, 50 miles an hour. I've seen some of you do that in the church parking lot. <laughs> he was highly criticized for making such a statement. The atheist Voltaire said, quote, Newton thinks that someday men will travel at 50 miles an hour, the poor dotard. Well, I wish Voltaire could see our spaceships going at 20,000 miles an hour now. And global communication has man traveling at the speed of light. Anything you want, <clears throat> a click away, a second away. What used to take years to research, available in seconds to virtually anyone. You know, it took mankind 160 years to produce a steam engine that worked from concept to completion a couple of centuries ago. But the nuclear bomb was built in just six years, a few decades ago. And today's tech inventions flow from paper to prototype in days and mass production in weeks. Got your iPhone 37 yet? <laughs> I'm sure they're working on it. We'd have to be blind not to see it. The knowledge explosion has been going on for more than a century now. It's only increasing exponentially in speed. And the Bible says it'll all lead to Jesus' explosion onto the end time scene. Now, by the way, Talking about this knowledge explosion, let's remember biblically, knowledge doesn't make us better people. <laughs> it doesn't. It puffs up. It makes us proud of ourselves and more humanistic and like the people at Babel, people who need knocked down. And the next knockdown the Bible talks about is a bad one. <clears throat> we have more degrees than a thermometer, but our society is in kindergarten morally. Educating someone's mind without changing their heart only adds pride to their already large sin list. Let's show them another verse that they might not have thought of. Zechariah 14, verse 12, talks about people whose flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. For years, Bible scholars wondered and scratched their head what kind of warfare this could possibly speak of. Well, now we know about nuclear war. Revelation 16, 19 talks about the great city divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. The next chapter says it happens in one hour and that the earth sees the smoke of some great nation going up and, and they cry out, how could they have just vanished? And how could it have happened in an hour? And I shudder to think what nation that might be that they're remarking at. We can't go out on a limb on that one. 
but it's okay to shudder. <clears throat> Many people in this room in your lifetime <clears throat> have seen mankind harness the atom and develop capabilities to destroy the entire earth in a matter of minutes. Well, here's a biggie as far as fulfilled prophecy that was kind of holding back the rapture. In 1948, Israel was again established as a nation. And the dispersed Jews have been returning to Israel ever since by the hundreds of thousands, just as the Bible predicted would happen before Christ returns. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah 23.3 says, I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries whither I have driven them and will bring them again to their folds. And you can read more from Ezekiel 37 about that. Leads us to Jesus' words, Matthew 24, 34. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. The Lord puts a timer on of a generation, and we don't know His definition of a generation. From 1948, some said, was it 40 years? And so some people were trying to predict 1988. God's not going to be that obvious. Is it three score and ten? Some people said that. We don't know, but can everybody, can anybody stay alive? For hundreds of years after 1948, that's not going to happen, right? And he says this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Again, we can't be dogmatic about exactly what that means, but this is just another sign to look up. Now add to everything we've said a few more facts here. The cashless society that Revelation talks about is basically a done deal. You've heard of more earthquakes in your lifetime than in the previous 500 years put together. 70% of all medicines known to man have been invented in our lifetime. That's that technology explosion we're talking about. <clears throat> Here's a big one. <clears throat> and you can see this and proof of it online. It's staggering to think of this. Did you know 90% of all scientists who have ever lived are alive right now? <laughs> the technology explosion. Men running to and fro, knowledge shall be increased. We used to wonder, as we would read further into Revelation, how everyone on earth could see the bodies of the two witnesses lying in the streets in Revelation. How could everybody see that? But now we know they could see it on TV, they could see it online, replayed over and over again. I've visited third world countries. I've gone to places where they had nothing but a generator and, and yet somebody had a hut with a big screen in there. <laughs> Pulling in signals from the coast. <clears throat> Some islands off, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the coast of Panama called the Kuna Islands. Third world islands. We had to take canoes out to them. No power there. Huts and hammocks, and dirty conditions. And they had to use the restroom off the side of the island on uh, um, what they, we called it the Walk of Shame, uh, little boardwalks they'd build out, brother, from the island. And, uh, and there was a seat out there. <laughs> I kid you not. The Walk of Shame, that's what we called it. Um, <clears throat> Out there on the walk of shame on the boardwalk, some kids found a place where they could get a cell phone signal from the coast of Panama. 
several miles away. One kid on the island, this is 2010, had a cell phone and could get one bar if he stood in this one spot near the, the commode on the Walk of Shame and held his phone just like this. If he held it there long enough, he could download one picture of someone who was on the coast and everyone would line up and ooh and ah to look at it. We went back to that same island one year later and every kid there had a cell phone and was lined up for that one spot for their turn. <clears throat> this knowledge explosion of transportation and technology is ready to give the world a front row view to the end of the world. But it won't be entertainment. It'll be horror beyond imagination. That's why we lift our voice. You say you're trying to scare me? If you're lost, I would if I could. I'd rather scare you into heaven than lull you into hell. For these things are the truth. Now, don't raise your hand, but if you're old enough to get a discount at restaurants, <laughs> you've seen in your lifetime the divorce rate go from one in eight to wh where it is today where divorces outnumber marriages every year. The crime rate increased by over 500%. The birth of the Church of Satan in 1969 granted tax-exempt status by our government who subsequently kicks God and the Bible out of the schools. You've seen that in your lifetime. You've seen the one world government begin to be formed, the new world order, the one world church, the ecumenical movement, which is just a grease slide toward the one world church. Unprecedented increases in famines, natural disasters, pestilence, incurable diseases. There's an intensity building up. There's an expectancy in the air. But as believers, we need not run around with headline hysteria. And that's not what I'm doing tonight. We're to simply look up for our redemption draweth nigh. Don't be surprised. It was the Apostle Paul who said that I might not be ashamed before him at his coming. We are to faithfully and patiently wait for our Savior who will soon come bursting through the blue with a sound of a trumpet in the twinkling of an eye. And when the Bible says twinkling of an eye, it means in a millisecond. In an instant. Therefore, when the rapture occurs, if you're not saved, there will not be time to get saved if you've heard the gospel and rejected it. It will be too late for you. If you're not a Christian and not living for God, there'll be no time to make it right. Now, your salvation is secure, but we don't want to be ashamed before Him at His coming. We won't be able to ask Him to wait. Wait, Lord. There's some souls I've been meaning to get around to witnessing to. Wait, Lord, my brother, my father, my spouse, my kid, that neighbor. We lived right there so close for so long. Wait, just give me a few minutes. It doesn't take long to share the gospel. We'd be like selling the Lord on the point of witnessing at this point. It doesn't take long. It's not hard. Will you let me do it? We need to be doing it now, right? It doesn't take long. It's not hard. We just admitted that. Wait, Lord, I've decided I want to be a tither. Wait, Lord, I've got some bitterness in my heart I need to take care of. Wait, Lord, I'm looking at porn right now. Is that how the first thousand years in the eternal state will be for you before He wipes all tears from our eyes, remembering that that's what you were doing when Jesus Christ came back for you a soul that he saved? Wait, Lord. Okay, I'm ready. 
I just quit. <laughs> the message of the rapture is be ready. Do it now, for the Lord could come at any moment. Jesus said he would come like a thief in the night. You know, the thief doesn't announce his plan to you in advance. You've never been called by a thief. Hey, I'm going to be in your neighborhood tomorrow night around 2 a.m. I'm wondering, is that a good time for me to break into your house? It'll take most by surprise, but it doesn't have to take you by surprise. Believers are not children walking in darkness. We are to be children of the light. So what will happen to you at the rapture? Will you be right with God because you've been saved? You've been born again? Or will you be left behind in the hell storm that will begin an eternity separated from God? What you do with Jesus here on earth determines what Jesus does with you then. Make sure that you are rapture ready. Now, when we say right with God, we don't mean perfect, we mean forgiven. Your sin's been paid for, you've accepted the payment. We're not talking about some righteous work of, of uh, eliminating every sin from your life. Some here may be saved, but not right with God in another sense, and that's different. Your salvation's secure, you've got your relationship with God, He's your Father, you're His child, your eternity's secure, but if you're not in good fellowship, that's different. Relationship is different than fellowship, right? It is. Your relationship's secure, but we need to be in good fellowship with Him. In a way, if, if we're not, in a way we're being left behind because we're not experiencing the abundant Christian life we spoke of this morning. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight, we all want to be saved from hell. We should want to be saved from sin right now. We all want to go to heaven one day, but we should be looking for it today. When the sun comes up, we should be looking for it tomorrow. Jesus is coming. Be watching. Jesus is coming. Be witnessing now. Jesus is coming. Be working for His glory. Jesus is coming. Be worshiping. 